All right, we're continuing on. This will probably be the conclusion of our series, Healing from Rejection. Amen. And we're going to read Psalm chapter 139, verses 14 through 18. Psalm 139, verses 14 through 18. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I awake, I am still with thee. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, once again for the precious opportunity, the crucial opportunity to partake of your word. And we know, Father, according to your word, it says that in him we live and move and have our being. How can we live and move and have our being in you if we don't even know who you are or what your nature is or what your attributes are? So we thank you, Father, that through your word, we come to a knowledge, to a revelation of these things. And Father, as we study the, the topic of healing from rejection, as we've already seen, many people go through it. A lot of us have experienced it in our childhood. Some of us have dealt with it to, through our youthful years, through our young adult years. But the reality is these things never completely go away. So Lord, we praise you, Father, that you would heal us from any wounds, any scars, any ungodly thoughts or perceptions that are within us. We praise you, Father, if there's any unforgiveness in our hearts, Father, that we would free ourselves as well as those who have been indebted to us through these transgressions. Lord, pour out your salvation, your healing, your deliverance upon all those who have offended us. And we praise you, Father, that as we would loose forgiveness upon them, that it frees us from that connection, that ungodly connection as well. We also thank you, Father, that there's two sides of every issue. The same way that people have hurt us and wounded us, we have also done it to others if we're being honest with ourselves. So we praise you, Father, that if there's anybody out there that we have damaged, that we have helped heap baggage on, Father, that they would free us and forgive us as well, that there would be no ungodly perceptions or issues that connect us in any manner. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this, for complete and total healing of rejection. And we thank you, Father, that we would come to the place that we would truly know in our heart and hearts and our spirit, and we have full boldness and confidence, Father, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made as well as fully accepted in Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you, Father, for this. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Healing from rejection. As I said, we've dealt with a number of things over the last few weeks. Uh, the fact that everything that happens in terms of turning us down or resisting us isn't necessarily rejection. So we need to know whether or not rejection is something that is unjust or something that is just saying, no, that's not for you. Amen. Sometimes we need a reality check. We looked at the root of rejection. We looked at the wounds that associate rejection. We looked at some of the manifestations of rejection, how it can cause us to have certain personality traits that go with us and travel with us everywhere we go. Or maybe we've seen that in the lives of other people, people that are insecure, people that 
have forms of baggage on them or attitude problems. Maybe it's as, as a result of being subjected to rejection. We looked at different types of rejections. There's national or heritage-based rejection that we all suffer. There's religious rejection. There's socioeconomic rejection. You're born on the wrong side of the tracks, and those people come from prominent families. We've seen all different forms of rejection. But what you have to realize is that rejection, regardless of how its form and fashion is made to instill in your heart in an ungodly manner that I'm not adequate, I'm not enough, I'm unacceptable. So it's really, when you look at it, it's an attack of the enemy. So it doesn't really matter whether a person did it, whether society did it, whether it's the enemy himself. The reality is all roads really go back to the enemy, and it's a means of you failing to walk in the fullness of what God created you to be. So regardless of the, the source of it, we need to get to the place where Even though we experience rejection, we realize that rejection will not hold you down or limit you. It's how you handle rejection that can determine your fate, your destiny, and your perceptions regarding life. Amen? So, as I said, we've talked about a a bunch of different things. This week, we're going to look at healing from rejection. Amen? Healing from rejection. So, the first thing I want to read is from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Very familiar passage. We hear this a lot of times, especially around you know, Easter or Passion Week or Resurrection Sunday, whichever way you label. We hear this all the time. But one of the things that really pressed me as I read it this time is that a lot of people deal with the different forms of rejection. And it says here that Jesus Christ was not totally distant from that. If anything, he was somebody that dealt with it even before he was born. Just think about that. Mary's pregnant. And Joseph's like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything inappropriate. Don't, don't have your eyes on me. And then people are like, well, who did it? And all these rumors are going around, and he's an illegitimate child. So he's not even out of the womb, and yet he's rejected. Amen? Hallelujah. Then he deals with the form of rejection of Herod the king, saying, I'm going to kill all the children. Had to, in the womb of his mother, flee for his life out of that area to spare it. Amen? Reject it from the place where you were. But even though he was rejected from the place where she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and driven off, we see that the circumstances of his birth were actually manifested exactly where God had him to be. So the geopolitical 
situation at the time and the structure and the hatred of the king were all in place. But if anything, it was just a tool to get him where he was supposed to be in the first place. Amen. We also see that in other portions of his life, the Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected him and opposed him. We see that in his hometown, people say, isn't that Joseph and Mary's son? Who is he to preach to us? He dealt with rejection all the time. And as we even see here, it says, uh, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And it says, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So basically saying that he wasn't all that. He was not Brad Pitt. <laughs> he was not Denzel at his peak. He was not some handsome superstar that all the women were swooning. <gasps> Jesus went by. <laughs> he was the average looking Joe. Not saying he was ugly, but he was an average looking man. Nobody spun around and turned their heads like, whoa, look at him going by. He was an average looking man. So, unlike Saul, who was a, a foot taller than everybody, and everybody's like, whoa, look at Saul, he's a stud. Jesus was an average looking man. Amen. Then it says, not only was he kind of like average looking, but it says he was also rejected, full. Of sorrow and grief. You think you had a bad day? You think people have betrayed you or done you wrong? No matter what I've dealt with in my life, there's been times that I've been hurt, but I've never been to the point where I can truly say I was full, like the tank is on F of sorrows and grief. I've been hurt, but man, full of sorrow and grief. <laughs> That's what the hatred of the world and the enmity. That was caused by us breaking our allegiance with God and joining with Satan as we sin. That's what it will do to you. Jesus had to bear the full brunt of the rejection, the ire, the anger, the wrath of God poured out upon, upon him. And even though he and his father were, were totally inseparable, he had to take on our sins. And God himself had to turn from him for a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus was full of the rejection of not only men, but had to endure a form of rejection from God as he sacrificed himself on the cross. We see here he was despised, rejected of men, full of sorrow and grief. Yet throughout all of this, his concern was not totally upon himself. Even as he was beaten and executed, he still had concern for mankind. So my thing is, as it's saying that he was full of sorrow, full of griefs. And then here in verse 4 it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. One question that I have for each one of us today is, if we're still going around bearing the pain, the turmoil, the baggage of rejection, can we truly say that we've permitted Jesus to surely bear all our griefs? And all our sorrows? Or are you choosing to carry it yourself? Amen? How can you be walking around feeling rejected all the time? Wasn't the cross good enough to lift the rejection off and heal you? Wasn't the blood of Jesus good enough to take away the pain, the disillusionment, the, the, the feeling of being distanced from family and friends? No matter what we've gone through, if it says here according to the word of God that Jesus Christ has surely borne our grief 
and surely borne our sorrows, and yet we're still walking around with the pain of what was done to us or what is continuing to be done to us even now, can we say that we've really taken it off ourselves and handed it over to him so he can take the full brunt of it? Amen? So in other words, are you carrying, are you doing Jesus' job? Are you bearing your own grief and sorrows? Or are you allowing Jesus to, truly, to surely take it? If he's surely taking it, you'll still be aware of it. I'm not going to say he's going to come in with this big eraser and wipe your mind free of it. But what I will tell you is you could be aware of the rejection of the past, but yet he's carrying it. Amen? That's one of the things like I, I shared last week. I said, Pam, you know, told me, and it was really the first time she said that. She's like, when you talk about the situations from the past... I don't feel your pain. You're sharing a story to bless somebody else. But she says, I don't discern any pain on you as you say it. Why? Because I took my pain. I took my anger too. I took the, 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 all the negativity, all the pain, all the anger, all the, because like we said, there's two sides of the coins of that stuff. There's the hurt part and then there's the outward part of it. I took all the pain and I said, Jesus, you can have it. And now I can talk about the stuff and you don't sense the burden and the pain on me because he's the one carrying it. Amen. So you can still and you will have the past in your head, but yet he could be the one that carries the weight of it. And there's quite a difference. Amen. And you could tell if somebody or the things that happened or the things that were said keep making you feel uncomfortable, anxious, angry, bitter, jealous, or some other ungodly emotion when you recall that situation or what was said or how it made you feel or the people that did it. As these things come back to your remembrance, if you start feeling some of that pain from the past or some of that anger starting to churn inside of you, that still shows you that you haven't fully alleviated it and placed it into the hand of Jesus. Amen? Because it can't get stirred up unless it's in you. Amen? Can't be, it can't be stirred up. If it's gone, it won't affect you. And like I said, there's a difference between being aware of it and allowing it to cause something to ignite in you or something to start to fester inside of you. There's quite a difference between the two. So if we have truly given everything over to Jesus Christ, like I said, we will still be aware of what occurred in the past, but we won't feel the pain of it. Amen? Hallelujah. Next thing I want to look at is from the book of Mark. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 26. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, at first, 
I was looking at this and I was going to use the part about forgiveness. But then as I, as I was studying the word and I was re- praying and everything, the Lord was like, no, go back a little further and talk about the mountain. Amen. And so looking at the mountain part, of this, it says, have faith in God. And then it goes on to say, whosoever in faith shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe those things which saith, he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he saith. So in other words, it says, have faith in God. If there's an obstacle in your path or mountain and you believe in your heart of hearts that when you speak in faith that God's going to remove it and you speak that it be cast in the sea, it will happen. <laughs> right? We can all agree to that, correct? So we believe God that he can overcome every obstacle in our life. Whether it's fierce physical, spiritual, emotional, we're trusting God that he can dispose of anything that is blocking or hindering us in our lives. So if that's the case, many people are dealing with the mountain of rejection. And it stays there, it lingers, it keeps blocking us as we go to different situations or face different opportunities. So the question that it brings to my mind is, if we continue to have the mountain of rejection in front of us, tainting our, our, our perceptions, blocking our view of what our capabilities are, what people are like, or what we're capable of doing, why is that mountain still there if you trust in God and has spoken to it to remove? Why is the mountain still there unless you haven't truly told God, remove the emotional baggage mountain that's blocking my path? Amen? See, it's not, I think a lot of times we look at the issues of faith. Well, I'm looking for a job. Bad, bad economy, bad job market. Lord, remove the mountain of unemployment out of my life. And we can believe God for that. You got bills stack up. Oh, I believe you, God, to remove the, the, the bondage to debt out of my life. We trust God for healing. Lord, I got this physical ailment. I believe you to remove that mountain of sickness out of my life. But why can't we go to God and say, remove the healing mountain, the rejection mountain that's preventing me from getting healed, why can't we ask God to remove that mountain out of our lives? Amen? Hallelujah. So we put weights on different things, and we choose the mountains that we want God to dispose of, but why can't we go to him and some of the things that are in our emotions that continue to block us, even when we don't necessarily know it, why can't we go to God and say, remove that emotional mountain? You see, here's the thing. A mountain, a lot of times, blocks things on the side that you're on. Amen? I've seen this uh, when I was down in um, North Carolina. A lot of times there would be weather on the opposite side of the mountains that we would never see. And it could be raining and pouring down over there, and we're on the opposite side. we got a sunny day, and then we're walking around in shorts. I literally, during my college years, my family's up here in Burlington City, New Jersey, and I would call home and say, oh, it's freezing up here. I was like, it is? I was like, it's 80 degrees, and I'm in T-shirts and shorts. And they're like, you're lying. I was like, no, the weather is fine. <laughs> now, part of it was being in the south, but sometimes I believe it was because the mountains in the surrounding area would block off stuff, and we were insulated 
from things that were external on the opposite side of those mountains. And it's the same thing with us emotionally. Sometimes we've erected mountains or the enemy or people have placed mountains in us emotionally and we're stuck on one side of that mountain and we can't see to the other side and we can't experience the things that are on the other side. So we need to go to God and say, hey, I'm tired of this thing blocking me in my life. I'm tired of this thing hindering me. I'm tired of going down this highway and in this direction. And every time I turn around, somehow that is a portable mountain because I think I finally got away from it. I go down, I go west to the other side. And next thing you know, that mountain is back in my path again. But maybe it's because you have not gone to God and said, remove this emotional mountain that is blocking my path. Amen. Hallelujah. And see, sometimes we actually build the mountain. (laughs) Sometimes we actually build the mountain. Because think about that. Sometimes people will do stuff, and in order to protect yourself, you put up what the world calls a wall, right? Well, what is a wall but a barrier or a mountain? It might be blocking people from coming in and hurting you again. However, a lot of times those walls are also blocking people that could be good for your life from coming in because you're so stuck in the pattern of this person and that person and the next five people, the next ten people did this to me, so I'm not going to trust the new five people that God tries to send in my life. So you actually build a mountain that is blocking them in, so you never truly experience those people in spirit and truth because the wall you place there never allows you to really let them in. Amen? Hallelujah. So some mountains are there because the enemy has placed them there, but then some mountains are there because we have erected them. We threw the stones of years and years of baggage, and what was originally a small pile of stones became a group of boulders, became a wall, became a barrier, became a fortress. Then next thing you know, you have a full-scale mountain in your path, and you might be the person that erected it. Amen? So we have to look at ourselves and say, hey, what are the mountains in my life? And the thing is, regardless of whether the enemy placed them there or we placed them there, if we want to truly be liberated to experience the fullness of what God has for us, as well as the fullness of what people could be in our lives. Sometimes we need to go back and say, you know what, I'm trying to get past this. I want to experience things new. I want to trust you, God, that I don't have to have my own personal force filled up to block people out. I'm going to allow this mountain to be lifted out of my life. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to trust you, God, not to get me in a place of pain again. And I want this mountain out of here so I can be free, amen, to fully experience everything you have for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we need to have faith in God. And we need to say, God, remove that mountain, that mountain of pain, that mountain of distrust, that mountain of trauma, whatever it is, remove that mountain, cast it in the sea, and let me trust you and have faith in you that the same God that removed the mountain can also preserve and protect me as I go out in freedom to new opportunities, new people, new relationships that maybe I never encountered before. And we see here that there's another side of the coin as well. Maybe the mountain hasn't been removed because we have unforgiveness in our heart towards people. Amen? (laughs) Actually, unforgiveness really isn't a word. It's It's a word in the Christian community. Unforgiveness really isn't a word. You go on Webster's, it's not in there. 
It's not a true word. There's a lack of forgiveness. I just thought about that. That's another day. <laughs> Unforgiveness is not a word, though. <laughs> so, anyway. Stepping off course. But the lack of forgiving people is what a lot of times we experience. Amen? We lack the capacity to walk in forgiveness for people. So... If we want totally to be ourselves to be totally freed and we want those mountains to be removed, the one side of the coin is that we need to tell God in faith, remove this mountain out of the way. But then on the other side of the coin, we have to ask God, is there anything within me that's holding me back because I haven't fully forgiven all those people that have done these things? And some people have done things in action. Some people have done things in terms of their attitudes. There's a mixture of it. We need to evaluate situation by situation what type of forgiveness we need to loose on people. Everybody hasn't necessarily done something to us in the physical. But sometimes in terms of their attitude, their perceptions, their body language, or how they've interacted with us, they have still put pain in us. And here's the thing. Some of it was done intentionally. Some of it has been done unintentionally. Regardless, though, we need to go back to God and say, hey, allow me to walk in forgiveness towards these people because as long as I'm holding them in bondage to me that they have to come apologize, that chain, that bondage works two ways. You can't say I'm holding a grudge with that person and I'm not going to forgive them until they let me go and yet think that you're going to walk around free because you've got an attachment there. Amen. You want to be fully liberated. You need to walk in forgiveness towards people because as soon as you release them, you've now taken off the weight. Amen. And, and prevent and, and now got yourself to the place where you can move free in God. I mean, think about this. If you had a big ship and you weighed anchor, you know, you dropped that anchor in the ocean. You would not think that your ship can go full steam ahead across the ocean. As long as that anchor's down. But as people, we do that emotionally all the time. We got anchor over this person and what he said. We have an anchor over that person and what they did. We got all these different anchors there. And then we're sitting there wondering, like, why am I stuck in my life all the time? Pull the anchors up or cut them loose. Amen. Allow yourself to be liberated, to experience new things in God. And see, that's the thing. One of the biggest things on forgiveness is not so much forgiving people all the time is trusting God that the pain I suffer from these people will not happen to me again. I think that's really 75, 80% of it. I don't want to be hurt again. Well, how can you really experience the fullness of life unless you're willing to face those challenges? Amen. Look at all the people that are really successful and prominent in life. They were risk takers. They took on challenges. They did not let failure stop them. They just kept pushing and pushing and going ahead. And see, as long as we're holding on the baggage and saying, well, I would go forward, but that big but there, that same but that is keeping you there is also preventing you from going further in your life. Amen? So we need to take a chance on ourselves. If I trust God, if I have faith, if I'm willing to forgive, if I want to say, move these emotional mountains out of my path, can I trust God to move me forward? Amen? And prevent me from getting hurt again. We cannot say we have faith in God, yet we're living a life of self-preservation. I thought God was supposed to be the one to preserve us. 
I thought the word says in him we live and move and have our being. I thought it says that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that will see to it, the one who's our provider. I thought he's supposed to be the captain of our salvation. Well, why are we having our hands on the, the controls all the time if God is supposed to be all these things? And if he loves us, he foreknew us, and he sent his son to die for us, surely he loves us enough that if we allow ourselves to be free, we can trust him to say, I'm going to move you into new relationships and new situations, amen, that will not be devastating to you. So healing, like I said, from rejection might be a mountain in your life, but we have to get to the place where we trust God to take charge of that situation and do the process. We need to have faith in him that if we are honest enough to say, this is my mountain, God will not only remove it, but he will alleviate us of the pain and the fear of going forward in our lives. Now we're going to go to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now that word whole, Jesus asked him, Will thou be made whole? That word whole in underlying Greek means healthy, well in body, True in doctrine, sound, growing, and enlarging. I'll read it again. The word whole means healthy, well in body, true in doctrine, sound, growing, and enlarging. And see, that's really interesting when you think about it. It's saying that not only are you a complete person, stable, solid, at peace, content, healthy mind, body, and spirit, but also saying that according to the doctrine that you're aware of in the body of Christ, that you are sound in terms of your understanding of the nature of God, who you are, and how he wants to move in your life. Amen? It also goes further and says growing and enlarging. That's the part that I really think should stand out to us. It's one thing to be whole and say, wow, God totally healed me. But now... I'm not only healthy, spiritually, emotionally, physically, but it says I'm true in doctrine. That means I'm rightly dividing the word and I know how to keep myself free of mess again. (laughs) But then it says you're growing and enlarging. I'm not just stuck at being little old me because I've allowed myself to get, get to a place of divine health in God. He's not only got me stable, but now he's starting to expand my influence expand my authority, expand my opportunities, I'm truly growing and enlarging in God. 
And I'm sure that's something that all of us will be happy to hear, that we're not only stable in God, but now we're starting to grow and expand in our authority and our impact in life. And now we're literally a force of nature for God. Amen? Hallelujah. But the question was posed, will thou be made whole? See, we see here it's a choice. Everybody except Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but not everybody is out there is made whole. And I think if you really examine the body of Christ, I will say that probably the majority of people that are Christians are not even close to whole. They're barely a step removed from when they got saved. You know, and this, it's a shame because you can see it at all levels. I remember as a result of the, the Trayvon Martin case, um, somebody was posted something and somebody else posted something and he not only stuck to his points, but he got more aggressive and pretty much got insolent and arrogant. <clears throat> and so I'm reading this and... I basically told myself, I'm not getting into it with anybody. I'm just not. I got a lot of opinions. I got a lot of stuff I can say. And a lot of things I can say and back up in Scripture. But I said, you know what? I'm not getting myself into a bunch of mess. So I kind of watched this. But then this guy really stepped it up and kept going back and forth with this person. And then he posted another article that was supposedly about polls and how it shows it. Most African Americans are the races and stuff, and, and, and even going across other races, most are, have different forms of stuff. And finally, I was like, okay, enough is enough. I'm not going to debate the person, and if need be, I'm going to unfriend the person, but I am going to say something. Because on his page, in big letters, it says, I'm a chaplain. So I didn't debate the issue, I didn't debate the polls. I basically said, you know what, regardless of the polls, regardless of the out, outcome of the trial, I said, tell me how a so-called man of God can justify your arrogance, your harsh attitude, your mean-spirited responses, your refusal to have any compassion for the person that's going back and forth with you. Please give me some scripture showing, you know, justifying your attitude. And I just left it at that. I was like, I'm not going to go back and forth. You're a man of God. Show me some scriptures. Logged on the following day. Full apology to all the people he offended. <laughs> said he had prayed and he posted some verses. And then he basically said, like, I missed it, you know. And he said, I sincerely apologize to everybody offended. You know, um, my attitude was harsh. And then he talked about his background. The thing is, he had a lot of minority um, friends growing up. He said, I don't know why. I just took on this thing and I just got on edge and just blew it. So I just told him, I said, you know. I highly respect the fact that you're at least man enough to say, I screwed it up royally, and I say, hey, I love you, brother, and just kept it moving. So <laughs> sometimes people are going to mess up. But the thing is, you know, I didn't allow myself to get caught in a situation where it's going to get me off course and get me nuts. Um, and the good thing, though, is that it got to the place where it went from engaging and pouring salt on the wound to now turning around and apologizing and then doing things that were fruitful. So we all have to be aware that there's times where we can get off the beaten path. We, all, we have to be watchful of what it takes for each one of us to remain whole and to administer healing 
in the lives of other people. Amen? We've got to be careful of that because you never know where you could be in a situation where instead of being the bomb of Gilead that he has called us to be, ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, armed with the word of re- reconciliation, we have to be careful that not only are we not taking in things that damage us and pour salt on our wounds or aggravate something, but we also need to be in a position where we're also producing healing in the lives of other people and reconciliation. So we see here, Jesus is saying, will thou be made whole? That's the question each one of us need to ask ourselves. Did we get to the place of wholeness? And then once we get there, do we remain there? Or do we allow circumstances to come in that infect us? When you think about it, are we allowing ourselves to get infected or in some cases reinfected by the stuff that is out there? Because, you know, even with that situation, it brought back memories where, for instance, I was in Warmbrow. I got pulled over for no reason, surrounded by four cop cars, and searched, they searched my car top to bottom. It brought back those kinds of fears. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to allow myself to go back to that place because I know that is not where God wants me to be. So I had to choose to say, stay focused, stay in the word, and if you've got something to say, say something that produces healing in the lives of people. And as we look at healing, Jesus asked the question, will thou be made whole? And as you look at it, in order to heal, you have to choose to release the pain and burdens of the past so that you could take up your bed and walk. In his case, he had a literal bed that he had to take up and walk. To us, the bed that we need to take up could be emotional, spiritual, psychological, physical. There's different kinds of beds that we've all had to deal with. Amen. But the thing is, the Lord showed me a couple things about the bed. He said, the first thing is the bed is associated with a place of rest. So when he told the guy, the lame, the formerly lame guy that you're healed, take up your bed and walk. He's basically saying the place of rest that you've used to lay on that you've now picking up take your rest with you. Don't just get up and leave now that you're healed. Make sure that wherever you go, that rest, the rest of God is going to follow you so you stay in a place of wholeness. You might venture into new opportunities that you couldn't reach previously because of your infirmity, you know, being lame spiritually, physically, emotionally. Amen? But now that I got you to the place where you are healed, Take your bed with you so that the rest of God, you know, goes with you into these new opportunities and places. Another thing about the carrying bed, too, though, as you look at that lame man, not only was it a place of rest, but as he picked it up and walked with it, it was actually a reminder of where he was before. Don't forget where you came from. It is a place of rest, but as you carry that same bed and walk with it, it's also a reminder of, 38 years of not being able to be healed. (laughs) So don't get complacent. Don't get lazy. And it also demonstrates that while you might be freed and able to go into new places, you may not necessarily be able to go without some elements of your past going with you. See, there's going to be some stuff that you can't escape by birth, by race, by religion, socioeconomic background. There might be some things that even when God heals you that you can't totally walk away from. 
So you're going to have to carry with these things with you, and you might carry them all your life. But just because you carry them doesn't mean they wound you. And here's the thing. You can make sure that you carry them and they don't carry you. Amen? So you may have pain. <laughs> I used to tell people, and I know it's not gospel and it is not good. And I had to package it the right way as it, so it could line up with the word of God. But I used to tell people back in, get, back in the day, pain is good. It's like pain is very motivating. When you're hurting, pain has a good way of making you get up <laughs> and do something. <laughs> pain won't let you get comfortable. <laughs> so I was like, pain could be very motivating. Because like, if I had this pain in my body now, and if I don't do anything, and that pain's going to linger, but I got a choice of moving and exercising, and it strengthens my body so it either numbs down the pain or makes it go away, makes me get healed, then I got motivation that I'm going to do the work to make the pain go away. So pain, <laughs> that's why I exercise the world. They say that all the time. No pain, no gain. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> uh, anybody who's worked out at the gym, not just martial arts, but any kind of workout, weightlifting, aerobics, wherever it may be. You remember that first workout when you haven't worked out in a year or six months or wherever, and you go work out, and you might even come out of the gym. Whew, man, that was invigorating. Man, I feel good. That following morning, you try to get out of bed, and your, your, your body's like, <laughs> your body's like, you can go to work without me. Or you can go so your body's like, I hate you. <laughs> I ain't moving. <laughs> and you're like, and you're trying to will yourself to go. Leg off the edge of the bay. And your leg is like, I got seven levels of cramps. <laughs> and the right leg is telling the left leg, you go first. And it's like, uh uh-uh. I ain't bearing down no weight. You go first. So your two legs are fighting each other. And you're sitting there like wondering why your legs are twitching because your two legs are fighting each other. Who's going to go first? And then you move and then your back pulls and then your arms tight. And you're hurting because a lot of times you use stuff that you haven't used in a while because the workout is geared to work. The muscles that are over here or the muscles over there, the stuff that you don't naturally move as you go around on a daily basis. They are literally targeting those muscles to make them work. So when you come off that first workout, you're just like, oh. (laughs) But here's the thing. If you go back to that next workout again, it's like it breaks them down. They build back up. Next thing you know, it's just like, oh, I feel good. So pain can be very motivating. Pain can be good. Pain makes you stronger. So that's why sometimes Jesus will say, rise and you're healed, but he'll also say, oh, you're not leaving the bed there. Pick the bed up, take it with you. Once again, carrying God's peace and rest with you wherever you go, amen? But also, you might move on, but you're not necessarily taking away. You're not necessarily leaving all the stuff that's associated with your past. Because see, it's the stuff that's associated with your past that you can carry, once again, without it carrying you. See, I might be a product of uh, a dysfunctional family or uh, of alcoholism or drugs in my family or diabetes in my family or whatever it may be. There might be something associated with your family that's not pure and perfect in God. And it might be something that is a trait 
or a sickness or a sin or something like that that might go down your family tree that is trying to haunt you. But just because it's in your family tree doesn't mean you have to be subjected to it. And, and even if you've gone through it yourself, that doesn't mean that it has to be with you the rest of the days of your life. Amen? It's how you choose to carry it if you had to carry it. Or it's how you choose to deal with it if it's trying to follow you. See, there's certain things genetic that might be going through your family tree. But, you know, if you got cancer coming through your family, you have to walk around all the days you're Christian. I'm scared of cancer. No, bind that thing in the name of Jesus and say, first of all, I ain't living to fear of you. I ain't scared of you. You know, I have more faith in the Son of God that can cure me from you than I do in you instilling fear in me. Amen? Hallelujah. So we don't have to be fearful of these things, and we can carry things. And here's the thing. Even if it's something associated with something that happened or something that was done or spoken over your life, you may not forget it, but you can carry it where it doesn't instill pain in you. Amen? So your luggage doesn't have to be your baggage. That makes sense? (laughs) We associate baggage with being overwhelmed. So you don't have to carry your baggage. You can carry your luggage. <laughs> and you can use your luggage to say, oh, you're going through something? Let me show you a few things here. This is what happened five years ago. This is what happened in my childhood. Yeah, you know, I, I'll just carry this around so I can share with people like, you know, you are going through something. But it doesn't burden me. Pretty light. Why? Because Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I can carry it, but it's not weighing me down. Hallelujah. All right. So we can carry around things so that they no longer burden or hurt us. And they can serve us as opposed to us being subservient or crippled by the things from our past. All right. Next thing we'll look at is Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hallelujah. That conversation is not just the words coming out of your mouth. The word conversation also relates to behavior. So it tells us, put off your former speech and behavior that was associated with you before you accepted Jesus Christ. Put those things off. In other words, don't conduct yourself the same way as you did when you were out there in the world. Change your thought process. Change your behavior. And how do you change them? According to the word and the principles of God. And it says, you put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Those two words are important. The first word, corrupt, it means shriveled or withered, spoiled by any process, ruined or depraved. Depraved. Mm. (laughs) Shriveled, withered, spoiled by any process. So it says that your old conversation, your old behavior was corrupt. It was shriveled. It was dried up and withered. It was spoiled, ruined and depraved. And then it says you did things according to the deceitful lust. The word deceitful means delusions. 
We thought we had it all figured out. We were perfect. We were wonderful. We were all that in a bag of chips. And God, before our salvation, said, you were deluded. You were delusional. You thought you knew what was right. You thought you had it figured out. You just knew that your way was the only way to salvation. And then you came to a day and you figured out you didn't know nothing, anything, jack. <laughs> and all that stuff that you thought was going to mount to all this and I'm going to be great. And look, people are going to look at me and see how wonderful I am. And you found out that a lot of stuff, if not all that stuff, was pure, unadulterated folly. <laughs> but thank God in Jesus Christ, we could put off the old conversation, the old way of thinking and speaking. Because see, your speech and your behavior are governed by your thoughts and your perceptions. So we could put off those things that governors and governors before and we could put on the mindset of Christ. And it says here we need to put on the new man and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The word renewed means to be renovated or reformed. Put on the new man. Renew your mind. During the spring time of the year, a lot of people do what they call spring cleaning. Well, sometimes we need to do some spring cleaning in our brain cells, in our attitudes, in our perceptions, in our minds. So we need to do that process, and it's an ongoing thing. Um, we're really growing in Christ. There's going to be things that we did years ago that are not suitable now as we mature in God. Perfect example is what I said before um, with the situation of that case. Years ago, I probably would have just gotten to a debate and had to prove my point and do this and do that. But I come into a place where, look, I ain't got time to be just debating everybody about every little issue. And if it's not going to bring any kind of fruitfulness in my life or the life of somebody else, I don't want to get caught up in a bunch of mess. Amen? So to me, that was growth because before I might have tried to, like, engage and get into a spiritual, political, social debate. But I was like, I really don't have time for all that right now. And I'm going to use my energies to do something that's fruitful to, for the kingdom of God. So that is growth. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's the thing. A lot of times we feel like we got to prove something. We got to stroke our ego or we got to do something for our pride. There's a form of, if you really think about that, insecurity in there if you got to prove yourself to somebody. Especially somebody that you don't really know intimately. Why do you have to prove yourself to them? Are you insecure about yourself? <laughs> do you need some public accolades? Why do you have to do that? Amen. Hallelujah. All right, um, next thing I'm going to look at is Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we just talked about um, be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And that's the thing. A lot of us don't realize that there is a spirit associated with your mind. You have a spirit that is one with Christ. You know, you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. If you die today, you're in heavenly places. That, that is the spirit man that's inside of you. But we also have a spirit that is associated 
with us in terms of our mentality. The word warns us not to have the spirit of this world or the spirit of this age. We should have the spirit of Christ that is governed by the word of God. And if we have anything in us that is hindering us or angering us or upsetting us, anything that's depressing us or bringing pain in us as we encounter other people, or if we recall situations where people have rejected us and instilled some kind of pain in us or maybe felt inadequate about us, ourselves, and our capabilities, God wants us, according to his word, to renew the spirit of our minds. Amen? So one thing I like to ask people a lot of times is, if you had to summarize your thought process, your perceptions, and how you see yourself or your outlook on life, how would you summarize it? What word would you use? Would you say your outlook on life is good, positive, wholesome? You know, is it positive? Is it upbeat? Am I excited about life? Am I excited about my future? You know, do you have that kind of mentality? Or are you looking at things and saying, oh, my God, how am I going to get through? Amen? Because if it's something that's not aligning itself with the word of God, you have to be careful that it's not hindering you. I, I've, I've had a couple times over the years, um, especially in the computer field, where things that have happened have not been good. Um, back in early, late 1999, early 2000, the job market was horrible. They were doing a lot of outsourcing in India. They were doing a lot of downsizing. And there was people that were um, in my field. Um, I knew people that had been programming computers for 20, 30 years that now we're totally living, leaving the industry, moving to other parts of the country. I had one guy that was um, working at Blue Cross, and he was programming computers for over 20 years, and he went to a new job at Verizon, and I said, oh, you're doing the same thing? He said, no, I'm just generating reports for them. I'm like, you were writing software, and now you're just generating reports? Like, what's going on here? And I don't know really what happened with him, but I was determined – I'm not going to allow the situation, the economy, what's going on right now, define me or discourage me and tell me that I'm not going to continue to be successful in this. See, the downturn in the economy and the outsourcing and everything that was going on was just something that was happening in the economy and in the corporate world at the time. But I was like, I'm not going to allow something that might only occur within a six-month to a year or so period of time to define me over the course of my entire career. So I've been in my career for 26 years as of May 18th. Amen. Some of it, I had to be very determined to stay in it, but now I'm still doing exactly what I need to be. So I didn't allow that time period, which was short in comparison to my entire career to define who I was and what I was going to be able to do. And I didn't allow it to discourage me in terms of what my outlook was and who I was as a man and a husband and a father. I mean, those thoughts try to come your way when things are going on. Amen? <laughs> I remember one day where I was really hoping. I, I had one situation where I was working for this job, and it was really horrible. These guys had it. I've worked with a lot of Ukrainians and Indians and Russians. I got guys from Macedonia that right now that work with me every day. And so I'm familiar with foreign dialects and stuff like that. But these guys, they had the most, one of the most heavy Indian accents that I ever heard. And they spoke really fast. I don't know if you really have worked with natives. But even when they, work, they learn English, if their native language um, isn't English, a lot of times they speak very fast, even though it's in English. But these guys were fast 
with an extremely heavy accent. So almost everything we said had to be repeated three or four times, and it, it just was not working well. So within a couple of days, we just saw that it wasn't a match. So um, I was fortunate that another project came. So anyway, I was like, thank God, and everything's going good. And um, they were shipping me two computers, and I was ready to go out and buy a desk, and everything's exciting and everything. And all of a sudden, something came up on the technicality, and they called me up and said, we're not going to be able to hire you. So when the shipment comes, tell them that you're not going to accept it and to send it back. I mean, that hurt me big time. I mean, I was hurt so bad, I couldn't even speak. I like looked at Pam. I was just like, I had to go out, get in my car, drive somewhere, and just, I got to pray this off. Because <laughs> at the time, we were struggling financially. But I was like, no matter how much this hurts, I'm not going to allow that kind of rejection to define me, to hinder me, and to define who I am. Amen? And thank God I held strong. I stayed tied to his word. I kept proclaiming his promises over me. Now I'm working from home. I have like a team of people under me, and I kind of define my times. I work hard, but I define my times. But if I was only seeing things according to what was going on at that time, I probably wouldn't even be in this industry. Amen? Hallelujah. So don't allow things to affect you. You have to be continually renewing the spirit of your mind, not allowing yourself to be governed by short-term circumstances. And as we look at this passage here, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So you may have been rejected, dismissed, People may have uh, dismissed themselves, uh, distanced themselves from you. They may have spoken into your life in a negative manner and done all kinds of things to betray your trust. But regardless of those things, amen, as we're looking at our relationship with God, we cannot allow those things to control us or to define us. As we see here, it says we need to be confident in what? This very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it. See, that's what all roads go back to. It doesn't matter what these people have done. It doesn't matter what they've tried to do. God is the one that governs our lives. And we need to forgive them for what they've done and be confident in the fact that he has a bright future in store for each one of us. And he's going to get us to the place that he has planned for our lives. And really, there's nothing that anybody can do to hinder that. Amen? The only thing that can cause problems is when we allow people to get into our brain cells And they start getting us off course or they get us perceiving things the wrong way. So once we change our thought processes and we no longer see ourselves as somebody that is prone to rejection or been victimized by rejection, we can get to the place in God where now we can be confident that despite the pains of rejection from the past, God's going to allow us to get over those things, not get over it like the world says it, amen, because you're not going to necessarily forget what people have done. But he can get us to the place where the burden and the weight of those things are not holding us down or hindering us from achieving new successes in him. And we can trust God that the process, the plan, and the purpose that he's envisioned for our lives is going to come to pass. Now, um, once we get to the place of truly trusting God for what he wants to do in our lives, we can truly be fulfilled in him. And I just want to look at a couple passages relating to our fulfillment in God. The first one is Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 15 through 17. 
It says, Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Therefore all they that devour thee shall be devoured, and all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil, and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh out after. Amen? So we see here, people have been called outcasts. I told you before, I was like, I suffer from, um, I used to call it ghost syndrome. A lot of people call it middle child syndrome, but I call it ghost, ghost child syndrome. Because, like, I would call relatives and do this and that, and like, Keith? My brother. <laughs> they always just, their brains would go to my brother. And it's like I had tons of accomplishments in music and sports and athletics, but it just seemed like throughout the interactions with the family, it's like I didn't exist. Amen? So, and then you have situations where people in their family, maybe in some cases they did do things. They were the black sheep or they were the kid that got into trouble. So for whatever reason, they were looked at as the outcast of the family. But a lot of times... Um, these things may occur, but that doesn't mean that you have to continue to define yourself that way. We see here, God says that he will restore health to us and he will heal our wounds. You know, imagine David in the Old Testament when Samuel the prophet came on the scene and he came to Jesse and he said, bring your sons out here. I'm going to anoint the next king. And he calls all the different sons and yet he leaves David out on a sheepfold. I mean, you can't get much worse than somebody said, give me all your sons. Bring them all here. And you don't even summon your son to come. Talk about being a black sheep. Amen. You know, so his own father viewed him as a runt, saw him as a misfit. Um, if you really look at the Old Testament during those times and how people viewed shepherd, shepherds, they were not seen as having a noble job or position and they had kind of like a class to themselves of being outcasts. So David was that kind of person. And even when all the people were there about to, to battle on both sides, Israel and the Philistines, you had Goliath the champion out there taunting them. David came on the scene and said, what's going on here? And they're like, what are you doing here? You know, why aren't you out there with the sheep? And he's like, I'm here to deliver bread. So <laughs> he went from being the, sh the shepherd to being the Wonder Bread delivery boy. So here they are with swords and shields ready to fight. And, you know, you know how men are, you know, they're talking trash and nobody's going out on the battlefield, though. And yet here comes David, the outcast, the shepherd, the delivery boy of bread. <laughs> when they have all the so-called warriors, but yet it was the Davids of the world that said, why are you letting this guy taunt you? I'll go out there and kill him myself. And he did it. And that's the thing. God will take what the world sees as outcasts, and he will use them powerfully. I've seen it over and over. Joni Erickson Tata, you know, in wheelchair for years, but she has a worldwide ministry. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I got a DVD at home. His first name is Nicholas. This guy was literally born with no limbs. <sighs> I can't imagine. It's, and it's one thing to get your limbs amputated. This guy was born with no limbs. I mean, how do you handle that in the delivery room? The baby comes out, he has no arms and no legs. I can't imagine. What were the parents feeling? And quite frankly, the doctors went to the parents, and I think at one point they wanted them to, to abort the baby. They're like, no way. 
And then after he was born, they were like, he's going to have such a, a rough life with these different sicknesses and stuff. You know, we can institutionalize him and, and put him somewhere. They're like, this is our son. We love him. And they continue to speak life over him and speak the promises of God over him. And they say he is going to have an incredible life. And this guy is literally <laughs> no arms, no arms, no legs. He's been around the world preaching the gospel. Happily married. Amen. Amen. So just think about that. This guy has a worldwide ministry with no arms and legs. What excuse do we have? Somebody talked about me like a dog. Oh, those people didn't treat me good. I remember uh, my, my, class, my last class reunion, there was somebody that uh, was a friend with me on Facebook, and we're talking to each other, and like, oh, are you coming to a reunion? She's like, no. And like, well, why aren't you coming? It's a, you know, it's a big reunion. I was never treated good in high school. I said, well, did I ever treat you bad? No, you were polite. And then the other person was in conversation. Well, I was polite to you, but she was just like, I had so much pain during my high school years, I'm never coming back. It's like, wow. Still carrying that pain from years and years in the past. Amen? So um, sometimes people have made us feel like outcasts, but we have to choose to say, it doesn't matter how people treat me or how they perceive me. You know, I am a precious commodity in the kingdom of God. Amen. And he has promises for my life and I'm going to walk in those things. I'm not going to allow the mistreatment of people to define me as anything other than what he had called me to be. Amen. I like the book of Jeremiah chapter one. He says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Amen. Before you were formed in your mother's womb. So he may have just been a fertilized egg, a speck hidden in his mother's body. Maybe she didn't even know she was pregnant yet. And God said, I knew you intimately. And he said, I had a plan and a purpose for your life that I'm going to make sure it gets fulfilled. So are we going to allow God to let us get to the place where our lives are fulfilled? Are we going to allow all the pain and rejection and all the stuff that people have done over the years keep us in this box? Because a lot of times the people are doing that either jealous of you or because they're stuck in their own boxes, they want to keep you in a box as well. So are you going to live out what they've defined you to be in their small little world they define for you? Or are you going to walk out in what God himself has said about your life? Amen? Hallelujah. <sighs> Praise the Lord. All right, Ephesians 3, 4 through 19. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus. It says, bow his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That word name is what they refer to as an appellation. Not appellation like the mountains, but an appellation. <laughs> it's like the act of calling something out by a name. Amen. And one of the things we saw in the book of Genesis um, Basically, in the beginning, God gave 
Adam dominion over everything. And a lot of scholars said that he brought all the animals forth and he named them by name. And they basically took on the attributes of what he defined them to be. Amen. So God in this process here, he basically, instead of looking at the animals, God himself is speaking over each one of us and is saying that he is calling us out by name. And when he is calling you out by name, he's not just saying Brian and Kelly and Bill and Trey. He's basically saying, I'm not just assigning a name to you, but within that name I'm speaking over you, I'm also defining the purpose for which I created you. Amen? Hallelujah. So I am calling you out by name and designating a purpose for you. And then it says he's also defining the geographical boundaries over your life. Now, I don't know about you, but in the past I was called a bunch of things that cannot be repeated in church. Amen. And I'm sure a lot of us have been called things. I'm not saying it was always profanity. I'm saying that people have spoken things over your life. Um, I've shared before that when I was coming to the, um, the end of my high school years, I was topping the class and yet my counselors were not advising me to go to college. And there's one thing if I didn't envision it and they were trying to point me to something else. But I was in college prep courses. I was taking calculus in high school and advanced mathematics and English and stuff like that. I was taking all kinds of, like, top-of-the-class subjects. So everything in my brain was like, I'm going to college. Amen? And they try to, like, speak me into other stuff. And thank God I was determined enough that I said, no, I am going to college. I'm going to get a degree. And I didn't really know exactly what I was going to be because <laughs> I applied as a music major then I took on an accounting and um, law double major, and I did that for two and a half years until I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer or an accountant, and I, went and t- I took a, a, a strong cooter test that measured my aptitude that says you're great in mathematics and music and computers. I was like, oh, computers. So I took a computer course, fell in love with it, and the rest is history. So I didn't necessarily have everything defined, but I knew, like, this is the sort of path in general, I want to take. But life and people spoke other things over me. You're stupid. You're worthless. You know, I had people in my life that spoke that continually during my childhood years. And my thing is, how many people have been called, as we say in the world, outside their name, have been called certain things or have been limited or dismissed or spoken down to or belittled and because of the things that have been spoken over them or sometimes it hasn't necessarily been spoken but in how they treat you and their body language or how they leave you out of certain things. They've literally, they haven't spoken things verbally but they have spoken things into your life and in how they've treated you or neglected you. And as I see people all the time, um, you can see sometimes that they are actually defined by how people have treated them. And it's like kind of sad because I was actually looking at uh, somebody on Facebook and certain pursuits he's doing right now. And based upon what people have told me about him over the years and what he's called to, he is way off course. And I almost said something because he actually posted that he has this great opportunity in front of him. But the shameful thing is that this opportunity is going to take him way further off course. And it might give him a lot of money. It might give him fame. But it's going to take him way off course of what God had for his life. 
And I noticed because I had an intimate conversation with him, he is nowhere near the stuff that he's called to do. And the stuff that he told me when we had that conversation, just by hearing him speak, I was like, this is the ideal path for you. He's nowhere near any of that. So it's sad. So he might be successful according to the world, but he's totally off course in terms of what God has for him. And a lot of it's because some of the circumstances from the past have now put him into this mindset that the only road to success is if I do the status quo. But God has not called any of us to be status quo people. We are called to be the essence of what he's called us to be. And there might be more difficulties and more struggles associated with you going down the path that God has for you. But the fulfillment, amen, is a thousand times greater when you're doing what God has called you to do. So we see here, like I said, God has spoken over each one of our lives. He has a plan. He has a purpose in store for each one of us. And, but people and the devil gets in the way of all that and tries to get us way off in the left field so it corrupts our purpose. And as we get to the place where we are knowledgeable of the fact that certain things have happened in our lives that have wounded us or um, made us feel inferior or inadequate, don't stay in that place. Get to the place where you go back to God, allow him to speak to your life, and allow him to get you back on course. Because when you're doing what you're called to do, there's a sense of fulfillment, energy that's beyond anything else that you can ever envision. I remember I heard Miles Monroe one time, and he said that when he's preaching the word of God, he said it's almost like uh, a French chef making some kind of pastry, and he tastes it, and it's like, Mwah, magnifique. He said he, that's how he feels when he preaches the word of God. And really, that's, that's how I feel when I'm writing and I'm sharing the word of God. I mean, I love computers, but in terms of who I was created to be, when I'm doing the things of God, I'm empowered. You don't know how many nights, like last night, I was up 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm totally energized now. I've been carrying equipment. Uh, I probably had five hours of sleep. I'm totally energized because I'm doing what God has created me to be and to do. Hallelujah. And sometimes we feel like we're drained and we're weighed down. It's because we've been taken off course because of the things that have, been, that have occurred to us and have been spoken over us. And especially as it relates to rejection, the wounds send an underlying message that you are not what you're called to be. Amen. And they try to keep you boxed in and outside of what God has planned for your life. I'm going to read one last passage. Proverbs 8. 22 through 32. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the, of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of the, his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. And this is really talking about the wisdom of God being present 
even before the foundation of everything. But the reason why it's important for us realizing our workmanship in God is that before God even created a planet and defined the boundaries of the universe and the stars, and it's so incredible when you look at science. And a lot of times the secular science won't do it, but Christian science is saying the universe is, is, is founded upon anthropomorphic principles, which means the universe itself was designed in such a way that would be habitable for man. Not just the earth itself, but the entire universe, the way that planets and the solar system, everything pulls to keep us at that right position, far enough from the sun where we don't burn up, but not too far that we freeze. Amen? Everything was really bounded and governed for the workmanship of man and the wisdom of God was present to form and fashion that. And the thing is that not only did God create a planet and not only did God create Adam and Eve in the garden, but when he envisioned all these things he was going to create, he knew each one of us and foresaw us intimately and said in the year 2013, Brian Foss is going to do this and Nikki's going to do that and Tony's going to do that. All these different people. And Rejection has taught us that I'm a mistake, I'm an accident, I'm a mess, I'm a misfit. I'm the world's punching bag or the world's doormat. That's what it tries to tell us. And yet God says, if you knew the thoughts and plans I have for you, it's blow your mind. We all be in straight jackets in, you know, Ancora. If we really knew all the incredible thoughts that God has for us. We saw our text scripture, and actually I'm going to go back to it. In our text scripture, it talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made. And down to verse 18, if we could count the, the thoughts, the incredible thoughts that God has for each one of us, they are more than the grains of sand on a beach. Just think about that. Go down to Atlantic City if you need to get an illusion of this, you know, if you need to get a revelation of this in your mind. Go down to Atlantic City and just stand out on the beach. I said, man, if I could count all the grains of sand here, and, and just think, they're washing in and out with the waves continuously, and yet if you could count the grains of sand on that beach, it's less than the number of thoughts that God has over each one of us uniquely. That's incredible. How can we allow ourselves to be devastated, destroyed, diminished, limited by the rejection that we may have suffered, whether it's in our family society, the schools, all these different things that come our way. How can we allow ourselves to be defined as anything other than what God wants us to be? Amen? Hallelujah. So we need to come to a place where if we have suffered through these things, get to the place where we keep rehearsing the word. You know, this is a great passage of scripture. Memorize it and get to the point where you not only read it, but you actually mean it when you read it. Let's all rise. We'll just um, read it together to close out the series. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we're going to read it and mean it, right? All right, Psalm 139, verses 14 through 18. Let's all read it together. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. 
How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We are wonderfully and fearfully made. Y'all need to start walking around. I'm not talking about a pride, but you need to be walking around with an attitude. Some of us have been walking around like, oh, I didn't get a job yet. Or I'm not in the right school yet. Or my grades aren't good. Well, your grades, you need to work harder. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes we have stuff going on. It's like, oh, well, it's me. No, you're wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. And if nobody in your life can speak that over you, get to the place where you say, I can hear the voice of God speaking over, to me, over you. Amen. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Hallelujah. And that my soul knoweth right well. Amen. See, that's, that's an aggressive word. I know I'm something in God. Praise God. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege of partaking your word. And even as we've studied healing from rejection, Father, if any of us have come through circumstances, maybe it's the circumstances of our birth, it could be things that happened to us in our childhood, things that happened through school or in our young adult years, could have been the things that have, um, have occurred or been spoken over us, attitudes that have um, uh, been targeted towards us, Father. Regardless of what it is, Father, we praise and thank you, Father, first of all, that we would just forgive anybody who has betrayed us or wounded us in any w way. We lose forgiveness upon them. We pray for their salvation, their healing, their deliverance, because many of them are hurting others because they have been hurt themselves. So we pray your, your blessings upon them right now. And, Father, as we would uh, pray for them, we ask you, Father, to alleviate and purge out of us every weight that we felt, any wound that's in our minds or our hearts and our spirits, Father, as a result of things that have been done to us or spoken over us. If there's been any forms of neglect or any acts that have been done against us, any behavior that was contrary to your word, we praise you right now, Father, that you would purge the entire effects of all those things out of our lives. And, Father, we may never forget the things that occurred, but we could turn the situation around so that it no longer hurts us, but instead we could use it as a testimony of how great you are and all the great things that you've delivered us from. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. And as well, Holly, as we would forgive people and walk in freedom from rejection, Lord, that there's a lot of opportunities before us in terms of career and education, Hallelujah. Um, the healing in our bodies, whatever we need, Father, we praise and thank you that you will pour out your blessings upon us right now. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory that even as we saw in our text scripture, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. We saw in the book of Ephesians, Father, that we are your workmanship. We are your chosen people, a royal generation. And we praise and thank you, Father, that hallelujah, you are the author and finisher in our faith. You're going to complete astounding things through us and in us. We praise you, Father, for your peace. We praise you, Father, for your deliverance. We praise you, Father, that even as we go out uh, about our daily business, Father, you'll give us opportunities not only to walk in the peace of God, hallelujah, and the, the, the um, success and prosperity of God, but, Father, also allow us to bring deliverance and healing in the lives of others as well. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.